African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us uh, on uh, this uh, installment of uh, African Dialogue. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushatama. As usual here on Channel Africa on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. DSTV, we're on Channel 802 on the audio book here. And you can stream us live as well on our website on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to be looking at a very interesting report by the PW. Also known as uh, Price Water Coopers, uh, which is a report titled "The 2018 Global Economic Crime and Fraud Survey." Well, it states that 77% of South African of organisations rather have experienced some sort of economic crime. This is according to this Price Water Coopers report on economic crimes globally. According to the report by the PwC, fraud uh, uh, committed by consumers ranks the second most crime in South Africa with the Economic crimes in South Africa now it it's in its uh, all time uh, high over the past decade, and the report further suggests that six percent of executives in South Africa did not know if the organisations were affected by economic crimes or not. Well, joining us uh, on this discussion, we've got Trevor White, who is a Price Water Coopers uh, Forensic Services in South Africa survey leader, and also we've got Dr. Ivo Sarakinski joining us once again from the Vitz School of Governance and then we've got Patrick Craven who's the spokesperson for the South African Federation of Trade Unions on the line. Well, let's start with you, Trevor, in, in terms of looking at these figures and uh, very alarming to see South Africa having this uh, large percentage of uh, organization experiencing economic crimes, 77%. That's a high number, isn't it? Thanks, Benjamin. Yeah, it's it's a very concerning number. I mean, it's it's just gone up consistently for the last 10 years. Um, but what we've also noted is that the global average had a significant increase to 49% um, in the last two years, um, which clearly shows that, that it, this is just not a, a South African problem or an mm. African problem. It's it's all regions of the world are, are affected. Unfortunately, South Africa happened to come out, out the worst. But just one thing just to, to kick off is to say that we can't blame this on state capture. Everybody says it's state capture. But what we've always got to remember is that there's two sides to this equation, where the private sector is equally to blame for state capture because there's always somebody on the other side of the table that's paying the bribe or getting the benefit from the corruptly obtained contract with the state. Now let's look at uh, the contributing factors of the increase of uh, uh, this uh, particular issue of uh, the organizations being involved in economic crime. Do we know what the contributing factors are? Is it because the fact that, uh, uh, you know, 
the system is now become so rife whereby we're seeing um, corruption becoming a norm in South Africa and don't we have enough uh, uh, state agencies uh, to actually ensure that processes are transparent enough on how business is done in South Africa, Trevor? Um, what we, yes, we do, but what we have noted is that the way these um, crimes were detected in the, in the last two years, so the, the senior executives that responded to the survey said that um, 51% of the economic crimes were detected by corporate controls, and all these organizations, or most of them, said they'd spent more money on implementing better controls um, within their organizations in the last two years. But the most pleasing thing was that 30%, which was an increase from 19% two years ago, said that the corporate culture had resulted in the detection of the, of the economic crimes. And that is where the employees um, and people associated with the organization had come forward and reported via a whistleblowing line or through an anonymous report that had resulted in the detection of the economic crimes. And, and that, that was a, a positive out of the survey, which we believe that it now means People have effectively said enough is enough and they're prepared to put up their hands and say, I'm going to report this um, mm. and hopefully for the better of the organization and our country as a whole. Let me come to you, uh, Dr. Sarakinski, in terms of uh, the trend that we're seeing here. And uh, very rightly said by Trevor White, the fact that it's not just about state capture here. When you look at the figures here, you see that uh, asset misappropriation continues to be one of the characterizations of this type of economic crimes. So it's not only from a governing point of view, but it seems like it's also from a private sector uh, element that is very much involved here. Let's see if we can get your mic on there. I'm not sure if they've switched it on. Oh, there. there we go. There's lots of money to be made by behaving badly. So stealing the petty cash, uh, not registering assets on the regist- asset register, selling them privately, uh, it allows individuals in organizations to make large amounts of money. And it's, it's across private and public sector, this kind of challenge. And it comes down to standard operating procedures and internal controls. So basic corporate governance uh, systems. And um, these systems are always playing catch-up. Those who devious are are very devious and very innovative. (laughs) And your regulatory frameworks uh, are always slow to to realize what what has happened. So what one hopes is to have some kind of cultural change, a culture change. And it's, it's interesting that the survey is indicating this, where people choose voluntarily to behave better for the sake of the organization and the society. And that's really the most effective way to deal with these issues. Otherwise, you just get caught up in transaction costs of changing rules, enforcing rules. Costs go up and outcomes don't really change that much. Let me come to Patrick. From a union perspective, when we talk about economic crimes, how does it affect the ordinary worker on on the ground? And what's your perspective on uh, uh, the fact that we're seeing such huge involvement in economic crimes in South Africa? It seems like now it's no longer just an issue of just state capture, as was highlighted by Trevor White and also emphasized by Dr. Sarakinsky. But there seems to be a systematic wrong here that is taking place, Patrick. Absolutely, and I'm very glad that this issue has come to the fore because SAFTU and other unions have been saying ever since the uh, 
Gupta scandal broke, that uh, much as we very strongly condemned all the things which we now know were going on around the Guptas and their cronies, we always said that uh, this is not a unique problem. It doesn't stop uh, with the Guptas, ex-president Zuma and others. It's a symptom of a much wider problem, um, which was already starting to appear when we heard of people like McKinley, KPMG, Bell, Pottinger, SAP coming up, being directly involved. But we also said that uh, it's a symptom of a corrupt system. And I think the PricewaterhouseCoopers report has completely uh, vindicated that view. And uh, the danger, I think, now is that having finally and very belatedly taken the uh, Gupta story very seriously and started prosecuting those involved, we don't imagine that uh, if we can sort out those problems, then we're now in a co corruption-free economy. PricewaterhouseCoopers has proved that there is a huge amount and that it's structural. We believe it's because we live in a system of monopoly capitalism. And the monopoly is very important because that makes corruption much more of a problem than if there, if, if there were, and there never has been in our view, free competition where people could get uh, business by uh, open and honest means. Very often the only way to get business these days is by corrupt means. Um, and it isn't one thing which this report doesn't deal with, but uh, it's currently uh, under review at the um, competition tribunal, is mm. price fixing, sure. where we've seen instance after instance of what is basically illegal activity, economic crime, um, by fixing prices. And uh, the latest report, incidentally, uh, is about the media industry and even mentions the SABC. So that brings it really close to home that uh, this is now becoming almost institutionalized. Mm. But the media itself, which is now shown to be involved in uh, economic crimes, has a strange reluctance to uh, treat the thing with the seriousness. That's why I'm very glad we're having this discussion. Well, I'm going to take a quick break there and, and I'll come back to you, Patrick. Um, and you're highlighting very important issue there, monopoly capitalism that you're highlighting, issues of institutionalization whereby crimes are, are taking place even within state institutions. And that's a big question that's happening right now. Even the, the ESCOM inquiry is still underway. And uh, we know that the SABC as well is in parliament for uh, reasons of uh, mismanagement and corruption within its own management systems. We'll deal with those issues when we come back. Uh, well, today we're looking at a very interesting report by PricewaterCoopers that uh, looks at economic crimes in the world. Uh, South Africa sits right on top of this particular list. Not something that we're proud of, but hey, we can't shy away from it. It's something that we need to talk about. What is actually the influence of uh, us sitting on top with uh, 77% of uh, our institutions or organizations in South Africa experiencing economic crimes. And it's also not just about uh, uh, economic manipulation, as was highlighted by uh, Patrick Craven there in terms of price fixing, but also we're seeing it trickle down to ordinary citizens, some kind of criminality that is even relating to, to fraud that we deal with day in and, and day out. So we'll deal with those issues because it's not only a high-level issue, but also it's just 
trickles to just me and you, ordinary people, how we do business on an average day. Uh, we'll deal with these issues after our break. Channel Africa has good news for you. We have extended our reach. If you have an iPad or iPhone, download the Channel Africa iOS app at itunes.apple.com. If you have a cell phone, then get our Android app at Google Store. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, where we give you the African perspective. Thank you for joining us on our various platforms. We're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Uh, that's if you're listening to us on our shortwave service into Sub-Saharan Africa. And uh, if you're listening to us on DSTV in southern parts of uh, uh, the continent, we are on DSTV Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. We're on www.channelafrica.co. I want to come to you, Trevor, looking at uh, the report itself. Uh, You know, what was highlighted by uh, Mr. Patrick Craven was uh, really looking at uh, the uh, economic crimes from a more... um, higher level of of, of business and uh, corporate uh, of the corporate world but also it seems like this report trickles things down to issues of uh, fraud and uh, it seems like it's multifaceted in the way that it looked at uh, uh, phrasing this idea of economic crimes take us through the various economic crimes that we actually are struggling with uh, that the report and 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 taps Quickly, before I do that, I'd just like to touch on something Patrick said sure. um, regarding price-fixing and, and and those type of economic crimes which we're seeing on an ongoing basis in various industries in South Africa over a number of years now. I would say, from, from my perspective, and having been involved in investigating economic crime for over 20 years, people only really pay attention if somebody goes to jail. And... and if we think about economic crime in South Africa, there's very few people in the last five years of any significance that have gone to jail. And if we just keep giving big corporates fines that they pay and write it off in their financial statements sure. in the next year and nobody goes to jail, those CEOs and senior executives are prepared to take the risk because the worst thing that happens if they get caught is the company pays a fine. They will think twice if they potentially face going to jail for 15 years. And that is the real consequences that have to be enforced when people get caught. People need to go to jail. We won't stop this by merely giving people fines or suspended sentences. Um, that's just because we see that there's an increasing number of senior management that are involved in these economic crimes. And the more senior the people are that are involved, the bigger the crimes are. So by way of example, we saw accounting fraud is now responsible for 22% of the fraud that were detected in the last in the last um, two years. So 22% of the organization. So one in five said they suffered some sort of accounting fraud. Um, That was one of the only frauds that went up in the last two years because they're now saying, and those are the ones that senior management are involved in, that are now costing very big numbers. Sure. I mean, the biggest example of that, um, Dr. Sarakinsky, is the latest uh, issue that we've seen, just taking 
uh, the direction from Trevor there with the, the Steinhoff case. And that was one of the biggest examples where we saw kind of a misrepresentation with uh, the, the value share of, of that particular uh, company itself. So we're seeing more and more of these examples coming up. Uh, KPMG was another audit firm that was held accountable with its relationship uh, with the Gupta family. We saw that also becoming another big story where we saw a private uh, sector actually playing ball with corruption as well. Yes, uh so the, who audits the auditors? Sure. And the, one of the, the challenges here is that there isn't absolute consensus on how to do audits. So international agencies, local agencies try and agree on the standards for conducting audits. And despite what some people might say about numbers, they aren't as objective as one might think. Mm. It's how one gathers the numbers, interprets the numbers, categorizes the numbers. And that's where the dispute is. So highly paid advocates in tax law, highly paid advocates Mm -hmm. in in corporate law, Mm. uh, highly paid uh, chartered accountants in in numbers and bookkeeping Mm. uh, and and, and corporate finance, they're being employed precisely to loophole these ambiguities in many cases. They're either doing it as hired guns or they are running the companies and massaging the numbers in terms of the activities that they're involved in. And and it's not going to be an easy one to resolve because you only find out afterwards. Um, why why does it happen uh, increasingly frequently? Uh, it might be that uh, other other sanctions have become have started to show some effect in terms of enforcing regulation, competition, etc. And uh, the real issue is people do this because they get away with it. And the moment you stop people getting away with it is the moment you change behaviour. And and that is the greatest challenge. Uh, these are difficult cases to prove in court. It's forensic. It's micro detail. It can so, take six months just to prove, <laughs> present the evidence. And on also a the case. issue of subjectivity yeah. when it comes to the, the financial space. Yeah. So it, it it it's it's a difficult one to enforce. It's a difficult one to police. Uh, and and the the more the more gaps there are, the more this will happen. Patrick, maybe you'd love this question as someone from a trade union. Is it because we give uh, corporates who are investing in the countries too much uh, independence in terms of how uh, they work in in, in their financial systems? Absolutely. Um, Very often when you raise issues of uh, um, companies treating their workers badly, um, being uh, unconcerned about the uh, consumers, or the communities in which they operate, they will uh, come back by saying, well, business already has too much interference from the state. And what I think this discussion has proved is the exact opposite, that uh, basically the state, the judicial system, is too hands-off when it comes to corporate crime relative to other forms of crime. That's why I think the cases which have now been opened up on the Gupta issue are very important to see whether... We are prepared to uh, take these things seriously. Another problem is uh, the role of whistleblowers, uh, because you're absolutely right. Very often finding evidence can be a very difficult problem. But partly that is because there are many people in these uh, companies who know exactly what's going on, but also know that if they uh, go to the, the police or the media, uh, the only result is likely that they'll lose their job. We have to um, 
change the law to uh, protect whistleblowers and make it absolutely clear that any attempt to dismiss workers for uh, uncovering some of the, the crimes we're talking about today should be taken very, very seriously. And whistleblowers should be regarded as heroes, not villains, which unfortunately, I think in many companies, is still the case. Well, I want to come back to this issue of fraud that I asked you earlier on, and uh, you didn't answer it, Trevor, in terms of your report also looking at the issue of fraud relating to economic crimes. Uh, What was the issue in that, and how does it relate to us having this particular number one spot in this particular report? I mean, the the fraud that are are committed are are cross-spectrum. So, I mean, it comes from your basic asset misappropriation, which is stealing the assets of the organization. There's frauds that are committed by the consumer on the organization. So um, where the, the consumer is now stealing from, from, the, from, its, from the business that's selling to it. So guarantee frauds, um, different kinds of things of that nature. And then obviously the one that's, that's of, of topical nature in South Africa in the moment is procurement fraud. I mean, all the procurement-related frauds. When you've got bribery and corruption with 34% of the organizations saying they suffered some sort of bribery or corruption. Um, and then cybercrime. I mean, cybercrime, because again, also it was 29%. But that was the crime that organizations said in the next two years um, they thought would be the most disruptive economic crime that they would face. So, so that, that comes back to, to one of the um, previous comments that were made that, you know, this is an exceptionally complicated thing to, to try and investigate. And it's bad enough trying to prove um, in court um, accounting issues and how a crime is committed without having to try and prove how a cyber crime has been committed because there's very few people, whether it's the people investigating it or the, the judiciary that have to listen to it or the prosecutors that have to present it that understand cyber crime. So this is just, you know, and if we don't keep pace with the criminals, um, we're going to be playing catch-up forever. And that brings me to the question, Dr. Sarakinsky. Do we have the efficient financial po- uh, policing institutions, uh, which could be an arm of government that can actually police what's happening here? Because it seems like uh, everything is happening underground here, unless there's someone who is going to be a whistleblower. No one will actually really know what's going on. Well, our, our regulatory systems in terms of the private sector aren't too bad. Mm. And uh, in terms of banking and the financial services sector, our regulatory framework is what insulated us to quite a significant extent from the 2008 global economic meltdown, which was caused by significant malfeasance uh, by financial practitioners in America in terms of loans. So, so I think we've got the we've got the architecture. Uh, and in some cases, it's worked well. In other cases, blind eyes have been turned. And and this is a, a problem that I think uh, South Africa needs to deal with, is we've got to inst- insulate these regulatory law enforcement institutions from political interference okay. so that they can be empowered and they can do their job fearlessly 
and uh, without uh, selection in pursuing cases as they see fit. So I think the expertise is there in terms of the prosecution, the regulation. I think that in many cases, hands have been tied for politi- from political interference. And and quite importantly, uh, the the issue of cybercrime is 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 the is the is the big big challenge coming going forward, and it's a new space that maybe we need to look at because it's an area that has been long coming, but I don't think we have our grasp on that. No, it's it's something everyone says we must deal with, and no one deals with it. <laughs> sure. So there've been surveys on uh, running scans on 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 desktops in various public offices, mm. and the number of trojans and viruses. <laughs> that that have been found is horrific sure and and that means they were either installed purposefully or they were installed surreptitiously through mm. emails and other other online mechanisms mm. but the, the 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 implications of that bluntly is just too ghastly to contemplate mm. well Patrick, what are your thoughts on on this in terms of of the way forward in terms of making sure that the what Dr. Sarakinsky is highlighting as a competent framework of uh, uh, policing systems within the financial space. Do you think more needs to be done? Absolutely. I mean, if there's one thing that comes out of this report, it's that not nearly enough is being done. Mm. And uh, I was a bit worried about the reference to political interference. Mm. Um, I know there are examples where it's clearly political Mm. but uh, enforcing the law is not political interference Um, exposing price fixing is not political interference uh, I think uh, Dr. Sarakinsky was speaking in light of um, uh, the cases whereby governments collude with uh, a private sector or where we see like um, a statesman interfering with uh, a work of ESCOM in in that regard. So it wasn't specifically saying that the interference is uh, when you actually see justice taking place. It was the collusion that he was referring to, Patrick. Yeah. Perhaps it's a matter of words, but mm. uh, what I, the sort of thing that's been going on with ESCOM and the Guptas is not political interference, it's criminal interference. Okay. There's no, no question about that. And clearly, uh, if government institutions or state-owned enterprises are guilty of economic crimes, they should be treated just as severely. But what we can't have is a situation where private uh, companies feel that they're somehow immune because um, an attack on their independence is um, undermining the whole system. Well, in a strange sort of way, that might well be true. But I think we need some fundamental changes in the the system, the capitalist system, precisely because it is so monopolized. That is the factor which always tends to get left out. That uh, if you're dealing with, uh, uh, if you're running a big multinational company, Mm. the uh, opportunities for corruption and other economic crimes, um, tax evasion, money laundering, are obviously much greater because you will have all sorts of international connections which you can use to uh, spirit money out of the uh, the country and and all sorts of other things like that. And um, bringing in new laws to stop this is not political interference, it's simply uh, implementing the law. The same applies, by the way, to um, issues of uh, workers. Um, health and safety, decent working conditions, proper wage negotiations. These are all issues which uh, 
um, businesses sometimes say they object to because it's government interference, but which the government have an absolute right and duty to to enforce, and they need to enforce mm, them mm, far better mm. than they do at the moment. Let me bring it to you, Dr. Sarakinsky. Do you want to clarify? I think uh, uh, Mr. Craven misunderstood you there. I think we lost someone on the line there. But do you, do you want to clarify that, that statement? Because I, I tried myself, but yes. I think there was a bit of a misunderstanding there. Now, I think you clarified that quite mm. well. Mm. I'm not I, more, more government policy mm. is desirable to close gaps that have been exposed mm. through practice. Sure. No objection there. Political interference applies where you've got undue interference in the functioning of an organization. And it could be government, it could be a trade union, and there are numerous examples with regard to trade union pension funds Mm. that are open to this kind of investigation and tightening up Mm. on how uh, unions themselves manage uh, pension funds. And Mr. Craven will know more about that than I do. so we, we need to ensure and create a culture where organizations can act independently and professionally and comply with the law in spirit and in fact. Mm. And that's, that's where I think there's major room for improvement. I'm going to take a quick break, and then we'll wrap it up when we come back after uh, this break. A very interesting report uh, where we're looking at economic crimes and focusing in South Africa as it sits on top of this particular list. Uh, Also, surprisingly, Kenya sits second after this list. I'm not sure if it's the fact that maybe I was speaking to my colleagues uh, earlier, is it because that uh, African countries just find it difficult uh, to hide their uh, corruption versus the uh, Western countries. We will come back to Trevor White and ask him, why is it African countries that are sitting on top of the list of of this particular uh, report? Is it not because of the subjectivity of the, uh, you know, the research in itself? But let's take a quick break. We'll be back. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French, and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo, and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, we're about to wrap up our discussion today. If you're just joining us, we've got Dr. Ivo Sarakinski joining us from the Witt School of Governance. Also on the line, we've got uh, uh, Trevor White, who's uh, joining us uh, from PWC, which is Price Water Coopers. Uh, he is the Forensic Services and South Africa Survey Leader uh, joining us on the line. And Patrick Craven, who's joining us as the spokesperson of the South African Federation of Trade Unions. We're about to wrap it up uh, uh, Trevor, and the question that people are asking and that I ask myself is uh, why are we seeing African countries on top of this particular list? Is it because of the fact that it's just difficult for our institutions and organizations to hide their crime? Maybe it just shows that maybe to a certain degree there is a level of transparency of how business is done in African countries versus how business is done uh, in the West? Yeah. Benjamin, I mean, what, what's interesting to see is that while there are five African countries in the top ten, um, 
the country that was third is France. Um, Belgium is number seven. So, you know, there are Western European countries right, right near the top of the list as well. Mm. But then there are also countries like Russia and China and Mexico, um, which also. So it just shows it's not a, and that's what people have got to get, around, get their heads around. It's not an African problem. It's sure. a global problem. Sure. Um, but our survey results are based on what the people that respond to the survey, which is predominantly the C-suite, so chief executives, officers, CFOs, um, heads of internal audit, etc., have responded. So maybe the one thing we could say, and we don't know for a fact, but is that the African respondents are more honest in the way they responded to the survey and they actually took the time to, to, to respond to it and say, we have got a problem. I mean, that's probably the, the first step into to taking corrective action is to actually identify the problem, where it is, how it's occurring, and then to actually put the corrective steps. And from, from talking to the different CEOs and looking at, at how they're spending their money and planning to spend it going forward, they're planning to spend more money to fight economic crime, especially from a South African perspective. So if, if they do that, and our, our state organizations in law enforcement are allowed to do the jobs that they have the authority and the mandate to do, and they're allowed to do it without fear or favor, then I believe in two years' time we should see this trend start to decrease. It may go up in the next year because of all the past issues that are being investigated, but I would like to think in two years' time that we would see a trend that starts to go down if we can get it right between the private sector and the state to fight this as a, as a joint effort rather than all looking at each other to do it separately. Mm. I think we have Patrick Craven back on the line. Patrick, your way forward, what are your thoughts on, on, on that in terms of tightening things up and making sure that uh, we find a solution moving forward? Well, we have to find a solution. I agree totally that uh, this shouldn't be seen as an African problem sure. because uh, many of the companies involved are based elsewhere. It's interesting that uh, several of the companies that have been identified as being involved in the uh, Gupta economic crimes are based outside the country. And uh, even big South African companies very often op- on, o- operate on a global basis. Mm. And that's, I think, where the most serious economic crimes take place. Companies who can shift money around the world in order to uh, pay the least tax or no tax at all if possible uh, are more likely to be involved in the most serious cases. That's not to say there aren't uh, much smaller cases uh, involving uh, other companies, but the really big stuff is uh, definitely uh, done on an international scale. And that, of course, makes the question of uh, um, policing it very very difficult. And uh, we cannot hope that people like Interpol uh, are likely to be very serious because these big international organizations are themselves very much uh, tied up with international big business. And so that's why SAFTU's position has always been quite clear that if we're going to really solve this problem, we have to nationalize the big monopolized industries, the banks, the mines, uh, sections of manufacturing industry, um, as the only way in which we will actually be able to have democratic control and enforce the law and mm. put a stop mm. to this uh, uh, theft, which is basically what it is, 
Dr. Sarokinski, nationalization, is that is that the answer? Well, one has to look at uh, a number of comparative cases where these kinds of institutions have been nationalized and to see whether it has uh, eliminated corruption, uh, fraud and abuse of, of these resources. And there the comparative studies would reveal that uh, it's almost the same. So with uh, nationalized industries in the former Soviet Union, all the Dachau's in the Caucasus for the officials to go duck hunting in the in the winter, where did that money come from to buy those luxury items? Uh, it was all nationalized industry. Similarly in Cuba, one can go on and on and on with with examples. So in whatever system you have, whether it's a free enterprise, a state-controlled, people will behave badly if they can get away with behaving badly. And it's, not sim- it's too simple, I think, to say that one of these economic systems promotes this bad behavior more than another. I think that that, that's, that, that, that's, that's possibly a naive way of looking at this in terms of a human nature type argument. Mm. Um, so what's the way forward for you? The way forward is to, is to examine and, and innovate in mm. terms of organizational design and, sure, sure. and to use technology, ICT, to combat this kind of behavior. Sure. Uh, ICT opens up enormous opportunities to to manage abuse. Mm -hmm. And simple examples illustrate the point I'm trying to make here. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you go for a driving license test now in South Africa, in many municipalities, it's all done on computer, Mm -hmm. uh, which means that the discretion of the official to pass, fail, take a bribe, or solicits a minimalized is, is, is eliminated. Sure, sure. The same with the eye test in part of the driving license process. Mm. So these are the ways we can do uh, a whole range of, of, of processes in organizations and exclude the obvious opportunities for this kind of abuse. Mm. The real challenge for me is the subjectivity of a number of accounting categories. Mm. So... Uh, in in the in the French arms deal case with the arms deal in South Africa, mm. uh, a bribe is is put through the books as 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 a commission. Mm, mm. Now we we really need clarity that, yeah. uh, in terms of accounting standards mm, mm. on 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 what counts as commission, mm. and auditors need to be held accountable mm. for signing off on on the payment of a fee which clearly is so much more than just a commission Commission. sure (laughs) well thank you james for giving us your time that was the voice of dr evo sarakinski who is uh, an expert joining us from the wits of uh, the wits school of governance rather that that's the wits school of governance and uh, patrick craven was also joining us on the line the spokesperson of the south african federation of trade unions and uh, trevor white joins us as one of the lead researchers from pw you see uh, thank you gents for giving us your time a very very interesting discussion between the three of you we really appreciate your time 